Hi, I'm Chelsea Neumeyer and I'm a time management and productivity coach. My goal is to help you go from overwhelmed to under control without a strict schedule or a bunch of productivity hacks. Each week, we'll talk about productivity mindset, actionable advice, my favorite resources, and you'll hear from guests just like you who are maximizing their limited resources. If you're anything like me, you're listening to this on the go, so check out the show notes and follow me on Instagram to learn more. Okay, let's start the episode. Hi everyone, today I'm excited to welcome Alvin Narcy, who has had an exciting journey buying and selling multiple pharmacy businesses in Australia over the past 16 years. He is known for his ability to simplify the fundamentals in growing retail businesses. Alvin's framework boils down to implementing the basics, focusing on cash flow and profit, and from day one, setting everything up so that your retail business runs without you. Trained as a pharmacist in Melbourne, Australia, he bought his first business as a partnership a few years after graduating university. As a pharmacist, you're trained as a clinician, not how to run a business. And so with the help of coaches and mentors and a feverish appetite for freedom and adventure, Alvin quickly learned how to utilize systems and leverage to ensure these businesses were fulfilling his lifestyle goal. Now that Alvin has sold all of his businesses, he is embarking on this next adventure of traveling the world and helping other retail business owners create the lifestyle that they want. And he's currently coming in from Germany. Alvin's uniqueness is sharing the skills that retail businesses owners need to increase their income, provide value to their clients and customers, and live a life of massive personal freedom, which I am so excited to talk about with you today. So thank you so much for joining us. Ah, thank you, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me on. What a great intro. I could not have said it better myself. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I also thought this was going to be such a great conversation because most of the, the people that I talk with are really in kind of the online or service-based space. And so I think coming from the retail perspective and work on the product-based place is just going to be really valuable for everyone to hear today. So thank you so much. For yeah, us. you're welcome. You're welcome. I would even argue that a lot of the fundamentals that I tend to speak about are really applicable to all businesses, really. I just happen to niche down into retail because, you know, that that's the businesses I used to run, buy and sell, so forth, as you mentioned. But yeah, it's going to be a fun conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. So again, I read that great bio covered a lot, but I'd love to hear in your own words, really what got you so excited to, to start this journey? Yes. So this journey that I'm on now, which is helping other business owners. Absolutely. So like you mentioned, I was running my businesses in Melbourne, Australia, bought and sold quite a few pharmacies. And, you know, we had the pandemic that was on last year. And midway through the pandemic, my wife and I, we kind of made the decision, this is not where we really want to live because Melbourne at that time was one of the, the top countries in the world that had the most stringent lockdowns ever, you know, like you couldn't leave the house at one stage for more than, you know, a couple of kilometers or what's that, miles for you guys. <laughs> you, know, you had curfews at one stage, you couldn't exercise, you know, you could only stay within a certain radius of being at home. And, you know, we just, and you couldn't travel, obviously. And that's one of the big, big major things for both of us. So we just decided this is not the life that we want to live and let's do something about it. So she quit her job. I sold my business. And when I sold my business, I was at my pharmacy. I was working with a business coach at the time. And, you know, he, he told Glenn, he said, you know, Alvin, so what are you going to do after you, after you sell this business? And I was like, I have no idea. I'm going to Germany. I'll, I'll see what happens. I'll maybe buy another business. And he said, like, you know, you've been a really good client and I think you'd be really good at helping other businesses do the same. So of course I didn't take him very seriously. I thought he was just being very polite. And we met up again for, you know, like, like a last dinner kind of thing as a going away. And he really impressed upon me as well. 
again that you know you'd be really good at this so I, I was like well Glenn what would I what would I coach people on you know what would I what knowledge can I impart because you know I just felt like I've just been doing what I've been doing I've got really no I thought I had no value to add and he came up with this really good line and he go and he told me just imagine you first got into business go back you know that 16 years ago and if you could travel back in time what would you tell yourself to to yeah. really kickstart your you know your business building journey and I was like that's perfect so long story short that's exactly what I did so you know he sold me the value proposition and then I started developing my program uh, my coaching program and so basically what I'm doing now is if I went back 16 17 years and met little Alvin when he was 26 <laughs> years old I would tell him when you once you got into business you need to start working on these three things first before you start doing anything else so that's exactly what I'm doing now. So that's how I got into it. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> and it's such, it's, I think so many people fall into coaching in that way, right? You, you have a great experience with a coach or with a mentor yes. and you learn so much and you realize that it's, it's just about helping sharing what you know, sharing your knowledge, sharing the exactly. things you've tried that didn't work totally. and sharing the things that, that did work and just helping that next wave of people who are excited to be entrepreneurs. Absolutely. And the thing about a really good coach, like, you know, like Glenn, for instance, my, my last business coach is so, you know, as, as a coachee or as a person who's being coached, you really don't realize the potential you have, but until somebody, a coach or a mentor or somebody like that asks you a really good question that gets you to think. And I think that's a, that's a characteristic of a really great coach or mentor. You know, they, they can give you the answers, but a better coach will ask you the questions mm -hmm. so that you come up with the own answers and you tend to internalize it, you know? So he didn't, he asked me the question once and I kind of brushed it away. And then he asked me the question again. Then I was able to think down and internalize like, yeah, this could be really good fun. And of course, you know, I'm all about service as a pharmacist. I'm a clinician. I'm a scientist, if you will. I've dealt with patients all along. So yeah, one of my core values is service. So I love helping people. And this is just a natural extension of what I was doing when I was wearing my white coat, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I think the right question can almost trick you into thinking it was your idea too, which is, <laughs> makes it even more Absolutely. believable. Absolutely. Yes. So and you know, it's those same techniques that I've learned and I do the same thing with my clients, right? Because they're going to have a much more profound experience. You know, I ask them the right question. And they develop the answer and the strategies themselves, you know, with me just kind of guiding the way a little bit, same thing Glenn did to me. And in fact, you know, I've had plenty of uh, business coaches and personal coaches and mindset coaches, and all of them have done, you know, all the same thing, all the good ones. Yeah. Big, big fan of coaching. I love being coached. I think it adds a credible amount of value. And then also when I'm in that coaching space too, it's great to see the, those things click, right. When someone kind of can come to come to their own realization, have that moment. Yeah. It's really, really exciting and feels really good, right? To, to it, be in that It really too. does. And you can, when you see it in your client or, you know, the person's face when they've just made that realization and it's almost like the pennies drop and the light just gone bling. And then you can see, wow, they've really embraced this. And then, you know, there's a high probability and a really good chance they're going to follow through with that realization, you know, rather than you, you, me, the coach telling them, go do this. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, one of the things that I mentioned when you're talking about in your bio is, is you help retail owners run the business without you, right? And, and as someone who loves to talk about time management and productivity, that felt like a eureka moment. We want to yeah. be able to work less, make more, right? That's always the dream. But how do we set those systems in place so that we can do that? Where do you recommend someone start taking themselves out of their business so that they have more of that free time? 
Yes. So I think it is a two-step process. So I think it's really important that as a business owner or even as an individual, it's really important to have a vision of what you want out of life, what you want to achieve. Because once you have that guiding star of, you know, how you really want to spend your time and, it, you know, whether it is, I don't know, doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu or traveling the world or whatever it is that you love doing. And so having that vision in mind, because that's going to be your guiding star when in your business, when you work with a coach or when you're working with a consultant is when they start to get you to do all the fun things that are going to be able to remove yourself from the day-to-day -day running in the business. You're going to get into obstacles and challenges. And so having that vision of that real, why are you doing this is so important because mm -hmm. when you get in a funk, you can always go back to the, to the vision. So that's the first thing. So it's really important. I think that we do that. And, you know, it's really interesting from what I found is that not a lot of people give this visioning process or this kind of future for themselves much of a thought, you know, in, in a lot of my clients, when I start this process, they get a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not sure what it is, but anyway, I think it's important that we do that. And so the second part that we do to remove us from the day to day, the, the first, the next step is to actually do a time audit. So, you know, we really need to understand where you, the business owner, and in my case, the retail business owner, what are you actually doing in your business? What is taking up your time? So we just do a simple seven day, including the weekends. We try and write down everything that you're doing, you know, not necessarily waking up and brushing your teeth, but the part like, you know, when I get to the shop, it's like, okay, I opened the store, I took the money out of the safe, you know, and then I started opening the registers and opening the shop and just little, little things going down the track. How many times you answered the phone and maybe even writing down why you answered the mm -hmm. phone and what queries you're getting. But basically it's just a, you know, it's just a, a dump of everything that you're doing. So you, one, you can see for yourself what's happening during the whole week, right? And it makes it really easy for, for me or the coach to then help you identify the next stage, which is, you know, what do you enjoy about everything that you're doing over a seven day period, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important. I found is to start to take baby steps when you are trying to work work on your business and move out of the day-to-day -day. because I know a lot of people, they start and they just totally pull back and, you know, everything just falls under, underneath them because, you know, they haven't set everything up properly, the, the procedures and the systems. So I think it's really important, as you know, as a coach to get some really nice, simple wins and you start to prove to yourself that you can actually start to outsource some of these tasks. So start having a look at that list. Let's look at what you love doing. And then also let's look at what you don't like doing. And, you know, whatever you don't like doing, let's start to see if we can get somebody else to do those for us. So in the retail landscape with the clients I work with anyway, because I work from a particular size of business, quite often, you know, we, we have staff members, retail staff members that we can start to uh, delegate some of these tasks. But for other business owners, you know, this might be an opportune time to think about getting a virtual assistant or some other outside help mm -hmm. that can do that. But yeah, so it's just a matter of, you know, getting the vision right and then starting to write down everything and then slowly start to look at what do you enjoy doing and all the stuff that you don't like doing, let's get somebody else to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's so good. And I just want to jump back to, to kind of drill down a little bit more because when you uh -huh. talk about the visioning exercise, yeah. this is something that I think every coach that I've ever worked with has done it. I like to do yes. it with some of my clients, but I feel like there is this, you do the exercise with your coach and you're thinking about it and you talk about it. 
and then you never talk about it or think about it again. So how do you, either for yourself or for your clients, make sure that that's staying top of mind? Because I've definitely been guilty of this as well, where I have this beautiful vision of what I want my future business to look like because someone asked me to do that. And then I don't think about it again. Absolutely. So yeah, I think one of the main mistakes that coaches make in, you know, and also us when we, if we've read some self-help books and we know we need to you know, create a vision, I think we overcomplicate it. So I try and ensure that our vision is a very, very short paragraph, three to four sentences. And I try and encompass in the vision and, and I got to remind my clients, this is the version one, right? We don't yeah. need to get it perfect. It's just something that will inspire you and get get you moving forward because as you know our vision develops over time once we start to realize what's possible then you know we, we can start getting more grandiose like moving countries and doing all this fun stuff but really in in the beginning it's about keeping it nice and short so the way i look i like to break it down i mean we have a process but essentially it's coming up with a a very small paragraph of four to five sentences like i had mentioned is and basically you know i get my my clients to explore what makes them happy what do they love doing now what would they like to learn in the future mm-hmm. and what kind of contribution they would like to make you know and then it's just about mashing those little bits of information into a small sentence and then you know when you start to work with a with a coach things get really difficult it can get very difficult and so you know when you're in a funk then it's up to up to me to remind you hey Let's have a look at your vision again. And really, this is what we're working towards. But so, oh my God, the short answer to your question, which I've totally made really long is, I think we just need to keep it really simple, a very short paragraph. It doesn't need to be like a whole story, but something really quick. And because it's about, for me, it's about, you know, what really excites you? What would you rather be doing? What would you love to be doing? It's all really easy things that hopefully after we've gone through this process, because it's all the stuff that you want to do and you love, it's going to be really easy for you to recall. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned, like, what do you want to contribute to? Because I think sometimes those visionings just become, like you said, like the travel and and all these super far in the future ideas and and goals, which are great and are very inspiring, but it feels very intangible in the moment. And so that that contribution is much more tangible in the moment. Yes. And I think, you know, you know, I, I learned this through Tony Robbins and I think he, you know, in one of his processes, he mentions that I think contribution is, and I'm totally butchering this, but you know, the element of contribution is such a human element that all, most human beings in some particular way de- derive mm-hmm. some sort of gratitude or happiness from helping others and contributing in a certain way. And, you know, we just need to find out what that is for you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So then touching on to the time audit piece of this, first of all, love a time audit. Highly mm. recommend and being being very honest with yourself when you do it because you're gonna recognize when you are your own worst enemy in a lot of those cases. But thinking about when a business owner is almost purposefully getting caught up in some of the minutia of work. Do you ever see that where they're kind of really purposefully getting caught up in those little things so that they can avoid that big picture work? Do you see that happen in your all work? the time? <laughs> Right. And I think this is a a mix of, you know, perhaps a little bit to do with procrastination Mm -hmm. and also the fact that particularly I know in the retail space, but I'm pretty sure in in other areas of the business, other business types, I beg your pardon, is because as a business owner, typically, you know, and Michael Gerber said this really well, we're technicians, right? Because we start this business because we're really, really good at it. And we think nobody else is going to be really good at doing all these tasks. So 
we think we immediately have to jump in and do all the minutia type stuff, you know? And so there's that part of it. And some of it is definitely the distraction because we don't want to do, we know we've got to do some high level stuff or some stuff that we ugh, just like, yuck, I don't want to do this. So we distract ourselves with doing the minutia stuff in a hope that the other stuff will go away, but it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And at least that, that question of the difference between working on your business and working in your business. And so can you tell us how you define working on yeah. your business versus working in your business? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, working on our business in a retail setting, actually in, in every setting, mm -hmm. I think is, so we want to be working on our business. What does that mean? So that means we want to be looking at how we can grow our business, all the high level stuff. So how can we introduce systems and procedures in our business? How can we start looking at initiatives that will grow our business in terms of partnerships, collaboration, marketing initiatives, you know, really doing that next level or adjacent out of the box thinking which we have to do to take to grow our businesses, which we find very difficult to do if we're in the weeds, we're doing all the day-to-day -day stuff. So mm -hmm. that's what I mean by working on our business. And, you know, when we start to do that, then we start really start to, you're forced, when you start working on your business, you're really forced to get someone else or have procedures and systems in place to actually do the work in the business, right? Because that's still going to happen. Somebody's in my case, in our case, you know, somebody's got to be on the retail floor, managing your team. Somebody's got to be at the register selling stuff. Somebody's got to be replenishing stock. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to, to start to think those through and start to get people to help you out with that. But so that's what I mean by working on the business. Yeah. And this is, again, it, it absolutely translates to anyone in the online service space as yeah. well, because you can spend so much time on a client project or just booked up in meetings if you're a coach. And then all of a sudden you have no plan for the next quarter because you've spent all your time working with clients, which is kind of easier to do because you love working with your clients. You love doing the, the work. Absolutely. I mean, that's the core, your core competency, right? Is mm -hmm. why you're, if you want to love working with clients, but then you know, you've still got to get all the other stuff done. You know, someone's going to book your appointments. You've got this podcast that's got to be edited, released and promoted. And, uh, <laughs> you know, there's so many other things that you, that you can easily get stuck doing till midnight. But once you realize that, you know, you can get somebody better to do it for you and your time is spent, you know, doing all the high level things, I think that, that becomes a big, big milestone in your individual, you know, business career. You specifically help clients with cash flow and profit as well. That's mm -hmm. something that you talk with them specifically about. So you have a philosophy of visibility, cash, and profit. Would you tell us a little bit more about your philosophy around those? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like I said, this, this is what I would have needed when I started up my business, right? So visibility is all about understanding the flow of cash through your business. So this is about recording your cash flow and then eventually projecting it which is especially in the retail space, really important, but I would argue in, in any business, right? If you yeah. sort of don't understand where the cash is going in your business, then you're going to, you're going to be in a lot of, lot of problems because it's almost like driving at night with your sunglasses on, right? You're just really not going to know anything about your business. The other component that's really important in the visibility piece is, you know, understanding some key metrics or some KPIs in your business, I think is really important because eventually when we start to work on your business and step away, it's these KPIs that we are going to be using to pull the levers in our business, right? So how do we know when we're 
I'm not on the beach and, and our team are running our business. How do we know they're doing okay? Initially, we've taken the time to set up some key performance indicators. So we know if we work on this particular KPI, that particular KPI, it's going to grow our profits and our revenues. So I think having, having a KPI dashboard and, and a good understanding of KPIs is really important with respect to your business. So that's the visibility piece. Cash, I think it's really important, uh, you know, just to start flushing your bank account with cash. And one of the main ways that we can do that in all industries is to get an understanding of our, what we call in retail average dollar sale, or, you know, we would call average sale per client or average sale per customer, but just getting an understanding of that. I'm so surprised that, you know, a lot of us business owners aren't sort of familiar with what that is. Mm. Once we know what that is, we can actually start to introduce some very simple initiatives to grow our average sale per client or average dollar sale, you know, and it, and it quite often 80, 90% of the time, it doesn't involve any marketing. It's just looking at what are the ways that we can provide value to our clients while we've already got them? You know, it's it's exactly like what McDonald's do, which you would like fries with that, that we all know has been reiterated over and over. But for whatever reason, when it comes to our own business, we haven't really thought that through. So that's one part. And the profit part is really important. In, in the case of retail, I think one of the missed profit opportunities is raising our prices. And I would argue that, you know, other businesses are the same, I think, once we understand the value that we're providing to the marketplace and our clients and customers, it makes it so much easier to confidently raise our margins, you know? So yeah, there's just a little bit of a, from the visibility cash and the profit piece. I love when you said the, for the cash flow piece of it, because I think pricing is something I hear about in my world all the time about either raising prices or just being comfortable with your mm. pricing too. Cause it's also, it's a little intimidating, right? To put, your prices out there and yes people can reject them and you know it's, it's a little scary it's uh, very scary yeah alan weiss who's one of the great consultants of all time he um he really pioneered this concept of value-based pricing you know which i've adapted into the retail world and in in the retail world especially there are certain items that everybody knows the price of, which you really, as a retailer, you might not be able to increase the price on so much because everybody knows that, for instance, this glass is the same everywhere you go, right? So you mm -hmm. can't really do that. But if you have other products or services, and if you're really truly providing value to your marketplace, then you really have, you know, you can really form the basis of, and justifying to yourself that you can really increase the margins here because this particular product in the retail case, you know, you can't find it in the store down the road or in the, in the same suburb. And, you know, it's so much superior than the regular product and it's going to do amazing things for your client and customers. So in the coaching space, same thing, right? A lot of coaches undersell mm -hmm. their products and services. And, you know, just because I guess they're not confident in the value they're providing to the marketplace yet. And I think that comes with time. Yeah, but and it's also that unique like what you bring, right? Like yes. only you can do the thing that you're going to do. And so... In the retail space, I saw this great post someone did about like the cost of a white t-shirt mm -hmm. and how that you know ranges from two dollars to and she showed a Google screenshot of a search and was like a five hundred and fifty dollar white t-shirt. They all look the same. So exactly. understanding who your client is and what they are going to value when they're shopping is really the the key there because then you can feel more more confident that the client, like you said, is going to get the value from your yes. service or your product. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's going back to the basics again of knowing, like you said, your, 
your ideal client and your target market and, you know, being really confident in your ability that you could serve them so that you're not swaying and being distracted by serving other markets as mm -hmm. well, right? You just go, okay, this is my target market in the case of your $500 white t-shirt. It's like, okay, so I've got a particular market I'm going after and I'm not going to be swayed by the $2 t-shirt in the store next door and just really focus on them. So I think that's really important as well. Yeah, good point. Yeah, and it also goes back to what you said about keeping those loyal customers because I worked in development and fundraising for years. And so it, and it's the same philosophy in a lot of business too, where your loyal donors, your loyal customers, you're going to get 80% of your revenue, right? It's something like that 80, 20% are going to be from people you already have who support you and are excited to work with you. And so you're, but I feel like it's easy to spend a lot of time trying to get new people instead of really caring about the people who are already in your space. Absolutely. hundred percent. So yeah, I mean, we've heard this, I mean, we all know this, right? Mm -hmm. we, we know that fans of our work will buy, will buy our stuff more often because they trust us. They know us, they like the experience and yet we're still seduced by marketing yeah. and we want to go and chase a new customer. This happens all the time in retail land as well. And, you know, one of the, one of the processes that we work through, I think it's really important for retailers to have a loyalty program because, you know, mm -hmm. that really helps us identify who our who our customers are that, you know, actually like shopping here and, and who enjoy our products and services. But, you know, I mean, this is across every single business landscape, right? And this is not something new, but for whatever it is, whatever reason, you know, we just love spending money on marketing <laughs> and trying to chase a new customer. And I think there is definitely a time for that. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, like you said, with the 80-20 rule is let's really start to develop how we can provide more value to our current clientele. Yeah. I was when you said the word seduce, because that was the first thing that comes to my mind. It's like this, yeah. it's like a little bit of an adrenaline rush. To like it is, people yeah. And I think, I think that adrenaline and that seduction comes from, from what I see in the marketplace anyway, is, you know, we're surrounded by this whole tech startup world, right? Where it's, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying out all these new marketing strategies and all these new initiatives to try and gain customers. And I think we often forget that these internet startup companies, they've got a, a, a truckload of funding behind them, right? They're so different from the retail shop or the individual smaller business that's down on the high street. And, you know, they're playing in a different space. They're not necessarily going for profit, but they're going for more users and revenue. And it's easy once you look at those kinds of business to go, my God, if they're doing it, then I should be doing the same, right? Yeah. But yeah, and it doesn't translate. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, well, I want to change gears a little bit because what mm -hmm. I love to talk about on this podcast is time management and how mm. business owners are managing their time and kind of getting that behind the scenes, right? So there's no right or wrong way to do it, which is why I love to talk to different people about what their schedules look like. So you could you maybe walk us through like what a normal day or week look like for you? For me? For you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I love, I work really well when I have a schedule. It's just mm -hmm. my personality. And this is what I, how I translate across to my clients. And I guess because the way I market myself, I kind of attract the same kind of people. But anyway, so for me, <laughs> My my mornings, Monday to Friday, I'm up at 5.30. I meditate for an hour. So that's really important for me. And then I either go to the gym or I go to the sauna. So I alternate every day. And then when I come back, I have a ritual for making coffee. I love Turkish coffee. So I grind my oh, beans. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And, you know, being in Europe at the moment, there's so much amazing coffee to be had and so easy to get. So that's my morning what it normally looks like. 
And then before I start work, what, what I can be considered as doing work, I always read for 15 minutes. I set the timer and I'm usually out in the balcony or at my desk. And I'm usually reading a self-help or a, or a business type book, just something for me, just to prime the day, to stay relevant, keep my mind on point and on the right track. And then I start work. So in terms of organizing my work schedule, I use Google Calendar. And so whatever I need to do, I don't have a to-do list as such. If I have something to do, I schedule it straight in, into okay. the calendar. Yep. So if I know I need to develop or do some pre-work on a webinar that I'm working on, then I will immediately open up my calendar and say, okay. And I have set times, by the way, as well. So on Mondays between two and three, I've got in, in a yellow color on the Google calendar, my creation work. So I know that if I need to develop something, I just go to the yellow part of my calendar, right? I do that on Mondays and Thursdays and I'll just put it straight in, like develop the webinar on cash flow maximizer, for instance, which is what I did last week. So I put that in there and then, so everything's color coded and whatever I need to do, it's all put into the, into the particular time. So there's no to-do list as such. If I think of a task to do, I find the right color. So, you know, I have creative work and then doing brunt work and I put it straight in. Like, I don't know, like it might mean, you know, like do this, whatever. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but so I just put it straight in there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think so. And that really works for me. So I've got no to-do list. Whenever I think of something, and I can, it basically falls into a few categories, you know, like uh, creative work or doing brunt work and I, it's all color coded and I, I know exactly when to put it in. And then I try and finish everything by 4.30 p.m. And I do like a afternoon journal or an evening journal, very similar to Julia Cameron's morning pages. And I write for half an hour in my journal, which is about an A4 page. And that's it. So that's how I, you know, typically schedule my day. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I love the the calendar approach. I know quite a few people who do that and and swear by it. So, and you know, it's so capturing everything you need to do in a way. And, and I bet actually this is a great follow-up question. And do you feel like you've gotten better at estimating how long things will take you by using this technique? It's a really good question. Yes. And I typically work in 45-minute blocks. So I know for me that, you know, I got this concept of Dean Jackson. He's a really cool marketing guy and he has a 50 minute sprint. So it just turns out that for me, it's 45 minutes and then I kind of lose interest. And I know that uh, in, uh, my productivity just goes down. So I block everything in 45 minutes. So whatever I need to do in that time, I got to make sure I really do it in 45 minutes. So I am really focused during that time and you can't really distract me. I've just got my headphones on and I'm just doing it. 45 minutes, I'm done. I set a timer on, on the phone. So it goes beep, 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 and I stop. Very rarely do I go over. And if I go over, I make a mental note for next time that I didn't plan that session properly. Because mm -hmm. I think for me, I shouldn't need you know a particular task or something shouldn't take more than 45 minutes. It just tells me I've planned it incorrectly and I need to relook at that. Yeah, I feel like the biggest pushback I get on any kind of like block scheduling or doing this way of scheduling is people are worried that they don't know how to estimate how long something will take, which it takes practice, right? Yes. Like it just takes practice. And then there's also the, oh my gosh, I'm blinking on the name of the principle, but the principle that a task will expand to the time that it's given. Yes. So if you give yourself 45 minutes, you, as you mentioned, are most likely going to get it done in that 45 minutes. Yeah. But if you give yourself two hours, it's going to take you two hours. Exactly. Um, so, so making exactly. sure that you can be really strategic about the time block that you give yourself to do each task. Exactly. Yeah. And we spoke about vision earlier, right? So I know what my vision is because 
I know what I love to do. So as soon as I finish at five, like I know what's waiting for me. I've got books to read. I, you know, I want to go for that walk. And in my case, the vineyards are around the corner. Like I've got so many other things that I want to do. So I just really got to make sure that I, I get it done. So then I can just go and just do all the things I love afterwards. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. That's, I mean, this is why I love having these conversations because yeah. it gets me excited to think about all the different ways that people can structure their time and what gets them excited. And it sounds like you are much more of a morning person. You want to get up and yes. go. And I know one of my friends I spoke to the other week was she's a night owl and she does all of her work after her kid goes to sleep. And she is incredibly productive that's, during that time. Um, that's exactly how my wife is. So we have different schedules and, you know, she she's far more productive at night. And yeah, so it's just the way it is. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's all good. Well, this has been so much fun. I've learned yeah. so much. It was so such a great conversation. And I feel like a ton of, of value to all the, the listeners. I have a couple rapid fire fun questions to okay. wrap us up. And we just answered the first one, which was, are you a morning person or a night person? That <laughs> sounds like all morning. about the mornings. Yeah, love that. All right, what about paper and pen or all digital? Ah, uh, wow. This is the dilemma I go through. So <laughs> all the time, yeah, digital 95% of the time. Like I just, I just love the efficiency. But as I mentioned, I do a journal every day and I've toyed with the idea of going digital, you know, with all the notebooks and fancy paper prescribing things you can get. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I have a, there's a romance I have with a particular kind of brand of journal that I have and a particular, I use a Lamy pen and I use a a Lecturum journal, which is this leather bound. So, and I just haven't been able to replace it. Like, you know, every time my journal is nearly finished, I toy with the idea of buying one of these tablets again. And then I just go back to buying the journal. So, so for me, long, yeah, 80, 90% digital. And just when I write my journal, it's pen and paper in a journal. Yeah. I mean, people who have special pens and journals are my people. Like that is, <laughs> I, I too have a favorite pen and journal and I get very like stressed out when I start to run low and have to have a stock on hand at all times. So I completely yep. appreciate it. And I think there's also, there's been studies about the connection of writing and how much better that it it stays in your memory a little bit better. It yes. makes that better connection. So I mean, there's there's power in putting pen to paper when I appropriate. I think so. Yeah, definitely. But I'm constantly have this dilemma, right? Because I'm I'm traveling all the time, and you know, like I've just now done two journals while I've been here, and so what do I do with that? Usually, you know, I've got a whole heap of journals back in Australia in storage. <laughs> so do I send these back, or you know, while I'm traveling, do I go digital? It's a constant dilemma. It's a high quality problem, though. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what is your favorite way to relax? Wow. I got so many. I love to read. Reading is a very, very big high priority for me. I love to cook. So reading and cooking are probably my my two favorite things. And, you know, when I was in Melbourne living at my house, so I, I love music mm. and I particularly love music on vinyl. So I had to put all my vinyl and my turntable into storage. I didn't bring that to Europe with me. So that's that's probably one thing I'm missing a little bit at the moment, but, you know, I'm getting my reading fix. I read so many books and I'm getting to to cook and you know have a play with all the different types of foods that, you, that I have here in Europe at the moment so it's really good fun oh that's great that's great and where can people find you and and learn more about your amazing business and, and work with you if they're interested yeah sure thing so I'm all over the internet if you just search me Alvin Nasi, you can find me on Facebook LinkedIn I'm sure you're going to have the show notes yep, there, I mean the show notes yeah but really I'm so fortunate to have a really great team that puts everything that I have out onto the World Wide Web. So, but yeah, you just type my name into Google and you'll find me. It's everywhere. Perfect. 
perfect perfect well i definitely encourage people to check you out and yeah this has been really really great conversation super valuable so i really appreciate your time today thank you thank you so much for having me on chelsea thank you for enjoying another episode of from overwhelmed to under control i hope you're feeling one step closer to your goals don't forget to check out the show notes and follow along on instagram at chelsea and coaching i look forward to talking to you soon